This morning, we'll take a look at the commuters throughout the country who are bearing the brunt of the bus driver's strike. Now, the drivers affiliated to Satawa and Noomsa have downed uh, tools demanding 12% salary increases, while the employers are offering 7%. The General Secretary of Trade Union Noomsa, Irvin Jim, says that they will intensify the strike because the wage negotiations between the unions and the employers have deadlocked. Now, we're asking you this morning, what do you make of this ongoing bus driver's strike and how has it affected you in any way? That is the question. Let us know what's on your mind. 0891-104-208. But right now, time to take a look at your weather forecast. And we start off in Pretoria. It will be fine. Your temperatures 13 to 26. The expected UVB sunburn index is very high in Pretoria. Johannesburg will be fine, 10 to 25. Ferenigheng will be fine, 7 to 25. Mbombela will be cloudy with morning fog patches, otherwise partly cloudy, 17 to 24. Polokwane will be fine, 12 to 23. Maikang will be fine, 8 to 28. Freiburg will be fine, 7 to 24. Bloemfontein will be fine, 6 to 25. Kimberley, fine, 7 to 26. Uppington will be fine, 12 to 30 degrees. In Cape Town this morning, it will be fine, becoming partly cloudy in the evening. You'll have a light to moderate northwesterly wind. Your temperatures 13 to 22. The expected UVB sunburn index is high. George, partly cloudy at first, otherwise fine. Uh, the wind will be calm but light to moderate westerly during the afternoon, 10 to 24. Port Elizabeth will be fine. You'll have a moderate to fresh southwesterly becoming light by the afternoon, 11 to 22. East London will be fine. You'll have a light to moderate southwesterly wind, 14 to 24. Durban will be partly cloudy, a moderate northeasterly, 18 to 27. The expected UVB sunburn index is high. Richards Bay, partly cloudy, a moderate northeasterly wind, 18 to 29. And Peter Marisburg will have morning fog, otherwise partly cloudy. Your temperature is 14 to 26. That's your weather forecast brought to you by the South African Weather Service. For more, you can visit www.weathersa.co.za. Elvis Presley, 6 to 7 a.m. Weekend View. Now, President Cyril Ramaphosa has described the ANC's struggle stalwart Zola Skweyia as a righteous man who was filled with compassion and integrity. Ramaphosa delivered the eulogy at Skweyia's final send-off in Pretoria at the Christian Revival Church. Skweyia died last week in hospital after suffering a short illness. He was 75 years old. Uh, Mbali Tabani, Tetani rather, reports. It was a somber mood at the Christian Revival Church in Pretoria on Saturday morning as mourners filled the auditorium as they paid their respects to late struggle stalwart Zola Skweyia and his family. Mourners could be seen dressed in black while some reflected the ANC colours green, black and gold and their dukes and scarves. A number of dignitaries including current President Cyril Ramaphosa were present at the funeral as well as former President Tabombeki. Skweyia's family 
who occupied the two front row seats of the church could be seen in an emotional state as they wiped their tears away. His son, Voyo Skweia, delivered a message from the family telling the congregation that his father was a loving man. Daddy was not always the easiest person to get along with. I know that there have been titles that have been given to him as gentle giant and all that. But at home, Daddy could be easily get agitated, could get irritated. And at that level, he become very, very stubborn. And the only person that could mellow him down at those moments was Umama. I want to thank Umama because Mom Tutu always pushed us to say, go and speak to your father. Always will say, because it was in her spirit to always develop a relationship between dad and me, between dad and Vugani, dad and Ketuktula. Fellow politician Apollo Jordan also paid tribute to Squehia and reminisced on their 60-year-long friendship. Jordan told mourners that Squehia never sought attention but rather left his mark in his work. A modest, unassuming person who was not given to vanity, nor did he seek to project himself and impose himself on others. Man with the capacity to do his work quietly, and diligently, virtually unnoticed, but the quality of his output never failed to impress. President Cyril Ramaphosa delivered the eulogy, saying South Africa has suffered a great loss. We were heartened by his moral clarity and by his steadfast commitment to democracy, justice and peace. Here was a noble man, noble not in the sense of nobility, but noble in the sense of nobleness, who would never dare sell the birthright of his people, a man who would choose death rather than betray the trust of his people. Integrity was the defining and determining force and the guiding light of his entire existence. Squeya was also responsible for setting up the social development department and Rabba Ponsa told the congregation that he was able to do so successfully because he had a deep care for the downtrodden and vulnerable. We will miss this gentle giant. We will miss his caring hand as we continue to draw guidance from the collective wisdom of our stalwarts to renew our country and revitalize our organization. As he would have wished, we will intensify our struggle for the complete restoration of the dignity of our people. We will intensify our struggle to return the land to the people and build an inclusive economy that benefits all South Africans. Squeya has been laid to rest at the Pretoria East Cemetery, Ambali Tetani in Pretoria.
That brings time now to 16 minutes past six o'clock. Now, there seems to be no end in sight in the ongoing commuter bus strike. The General Secretary of Trade Union, Numsa Irvin Jim, says they will intensify the strike because the wage negotiations between the unions and the employers have deadlocked. Workers are demanding a 12% wage increase, while the employer is offering 7%. Thousands of commuters have been left stranded since the nationwide bus strike started on Wednesday. Joining us now on the line to speak further on the matter is a spokesperson for the South African Transport and Allied Workers Union, Satao Zanele Sabela. A very good morning to you and welcome. Good morning, Elvis. Thank you for having us. Now, Ms. Sabela, it seems like the talks is deadlocked between the employer and the unions. Tell us uh, what the hurdles are. Okay, so unfortunately, we were very uh, hopeful on Friday that we could sign some sort of deal. But employers just weren't willing to come to the table. Um, At issue is the fact that we did drop our demand. We came down to 9.5% across the board increase for the first year and 9% for the second year. Employers, however, came to us and came to us with a deal that had been proposed by the mediator initially before we even went on strike, before the certificate was issued by by the CCMA, by the CCMA and um, that was um, 8.5% 8, 8. for the first year and 8% for the second year. So we wondered, you know, they never even signed it, never even thought that, you know, they should take it. So now this is what they put on the table. But more importantly, they won't budge on the conditions. The dual driver issue, uh, they won't do anything about. They won't do anything about night shift. There's also an issue about insourcing, like um, in the bargaining council, cleaners are actually provided for but they want to still outsource cleaners and you're wondering why this should be happening. So these are some of the sticking points. Mm -hmm. Now, what would be the union's compromise in these negotiations? Well, the compromise is that we actually came down from 12% to Mm. 9.5%. So this is where we are. But then those conditions also, they just won't budge on. You, you you do know those conditions are actually quite unreasonable and they're just not coming to the table. So what has been the response uh, to the CCMA's mediation efforts by your members? The, the CCMA mediation by our members? Yes, you, the response by of your members of the CCMA uh, mediation efforts. Are they happy with it? <laughs> well... So, so understand that the, the members weren't actually involved in the in the negotiation process. Mm. They were on strike while we were negotiating. Um, we must really say that Shane, the the CCME really tried hard, um, but the employers are really we we know we know we knew going into the strike that our employers are actually quite stubborn, but they proven uh, once again just how stubborn they are. Mm-hmm. What will now happen? Because it seems like there's a complete deadlock. Are you going to continue striking? Yes, we will. Unfortunately, we will continue striking. And we have called on everyone in the bus sector to intensify the strike. So there are people who are unionized. And there were some buses that were working. But the the thing about having a bargaining council is that when a deal is signed, it benefits everyone. So we are calling on those people who are not on strike to please come join us so that we can get a better deal for all of them.
Mm. All right, that was the spokesperson of the South African Transport and Allied Workers Union, Satao, Sanela Sabella, talking to us about the deadlock wage negotiations in the bus strike. Joining us now on the line to continue this conversation is the South African Road Passenger Bargaining Se- Council Secretary General, Gary Wilson. A very good morning to you and welcome. Gary, are you there? Mr. Wilson? Well, it seems like we're just battling to get hold of, of Gary. He was on the line a short while ago. We see, we're see we going to see if we can get him back on the line because we want to continue this discussion uh, regarding the nationwide bus strike. But remember, we are also finding out from you this morning, uh, what do you make of this ongoing bus uh, driver's strike and how has it affected you in any way, uh, countrywide, wherever you are? I'd like to find out from you on the Facebook page, on the Twitter handle, as well as on this number, 891 104208. That's the number here in studio. Uh, you can let us know what's on your mind also on the SMS line. That SMS line, 40938, it'll cost you one rand fifty. But you can also like us, uh, of course, uh, on, uh, in fact, you can follow us on the Twitter handle. Uh, that Twitter handle always open for you. Uh, it is hashtag the weekend view. Uh, but right now, it seems like we have uh, Gary back on the line. A very good morning to you, Gary, and welcome. Good morning and thank you for having me. Mr. Wilson, first and foremostly, why are the employers and the unions not finding each other in, in these negotiations, you think? Well, uh, you know, it's, 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 it's unfortunate culture that's been building up in this industry over many years. Mm. Um, it's, there's always been this relationship problem between the employers and the unions. And it's something that from the bargaining council side, we have worked very hard to try and mend and, and sort of improve. The difficulty is, is that you're sitting with, um, you know, different people with different personalities. And unfortunately, um, there's also a political aspect that has played all times within the council. And it's been, it's been one of our most difficult, um, this year has been extremely, even more difficult. Um, because, you know, we've, it seems as if people have taken a very firm stance that they are not going to make any compromises and other parts because of what has happened in the past. And and it's been extremely difficult to try and get through to people to, you know, seriously negotiate and and and, and understand the nature of the industry and also the impact that the strike is having on the is there a sense from the bargaining council's perspective that the employers are willing to compromise on me- on meeting the workers' demands? Well, we're not we're not getting the sense from either side, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, it seems like both sides have take, have, have kicked the youth in this year, um, and it's been making our processes very difficult. From the bargaining council side, let's try to to initiate a number of processes, um, and and at times the council got accused of interfering. Um, you know, when we try to to intervene, so. It's been it's been quite difficult for um, trying to get the parties to really you know look at how to concede or make concessions. Mm-hmm. But Satar would argue we just spoke to them and they indicated that they have dropped their demand from twelve percent to nine point five percent, which means that they have compromised. Your thoughts? Yeah, no, I I, I hear that, and I mean it's it's difficult with a. 
nine from moving from nine percent to to nine and a half percent. I understand the union's views of the compromise. I'm sure the employees would also make say a lot of things about what they have compromised on. The bargaining council, you know, is not the one negotiating. The unions and the employees that negotiate, and it's the the, the, the industry is in their hands whether they want to make the industry work or whether they want to not make it work. And the compromises that must come from both sides. Hmm. So what next now? Because the mediation efforts by the CCMA seem to have failed. Uh, from your perspective, the Bargaining Council's perspective, what next to try and resolve this impasse? You know, the, the difficulty that from where I said is that last year when the Bargaining Council intervened, um, and it intervened with the with the approval of the majority of the parties, the council got afterwards accused of intervening or to by getting involved in collective bargaining. We were accused of of interfering when we tried to to find the settlement. So this year, you know, we are at a situation where the bargaining council are basically told, "Don't get involved. Wait mm-hmm. until we give you an agreement." Um, we will continue, obviously, to assist the parties if they call upon the council to look at processes, we will assist wherever we can to get them back to the table if, if that's what they want to do. But as it stands, it is in the hands of the parties. All right. So says Gary Wilson, uh, the South African Road Passenger Bargaining Council Secretary General, talking to us about the efforts to resolve the ongoing bus strike. That brings the time now to 6.26. Elvis Presley, 6 to 7 a.m., Saturdays and Sundays. Parliament resumed this past week with the NCOP in session and various committee meetings. State-owned entities, <coughs> I beg your pardon, and various government departments appeared before various committees to present their strategic plans this week. Our parliamentary correspondent Mercedes Besant tells us more. Police watchdog IPED was in Parliament requesting the police committee to increase its funding to be able to fight corruption in the police services. IPED says after paying salaries, it is left with just more than 6 million rand to do its work. Executive Director Robert McBride says this makes it extremely difficult to investigate deep-rooted corruption within the police services. We are reaching a crisis point um, by evidence of being forced to close satellite offices because of budgetary pressures, and that also affects our independence. So without adequate financial and human resources, IPUD will not be able to fulfill its mandate. The SABC appeared before the Communications Committee to present its annual performance plan, which doesn't accommodate potential loss of revenue. SABC acting CFO Tabilet Lamini presented what she described as a risky budget for the public broadcaster for the year 2018-2019. We still remain challenged in terms of cash flows and our cash flow focus as well for next year still indicates that we still need to have that injection that we need from the banks which we would be able to achieve if we get the government guarantee. Student financial aid scheme NSFAS, which is currently being owed more than half a billion rand in student loans, told the Higher Education Committee that the announcement on free higher education led to a slowdown in the collection of historical debt. NSFAS general manager for finance, Lerato Nache, said this was due to confusion on whether previous debt would be scrapped following the announcement. There was frequent 
frequently asked questions uh, that was issued by the department, uh, which clarified that issue. So from February and March, we have continued uh, with the collections. And just one additional point on the, on, on the, on the recoveries, that the repayment terms of the NISFAS debt are quite, quite generous. It's only repayable when we have identified that you are working with SARS and it's a negotiated so that the data has to agree. So we might say you need to pay 700, but if the data does not agree, we will take what the data is able to afford. The NSFAS CEO Stephen Zwani told MPs that they are in the process of developing a new system that would allow students to sign their contracts electronically. Zwani says this is one way of ensuring that students overcome the barriers of signing NSFAS contracts. We, we are busy at the moment defining a new contract that students must sign outside of the loan agreement form and the schedule of particulars, what we call the NSFAS Besser Agreement. Um, it's gone through the different loops and, and hoops and we're looking to implement it within the next two months. One of the ways we're trying to achieve is how do we get students to sign electronically online just by being able, in the same way that we say, uh, we're going to pay you, here's a one-time PIN, how do you make it easy for that? And how do you also make it easy for them to go onto the online portal and sign there, and then we can retain the contract? There you have it. Uh, that's the story there from Mercedes Besant, our parliamentary correspondent, wrapping it up for the week. That brings the time to exactly 6.30. It's time for your news headlines. Thanks, Elvis. In the headlines, Kaiser Chiefs coach Steve Compella has resigned following the violent scenes at Moses Mabida Stadium in Durban last night. Chiefs lost 2-0 to Free State Stars in the Nedbank Cup semi-final. Public Enterprises Minister Praveen Gordon says radical surgery is required to ensure that ESCOM's 13.5 billion rand municipal debt is serviced. And the Northwest Health Department has welcomed the arrival of the SANDF health personnel to the province to assist at health facilities, particularly in Mahiking. Details on these and more at 7. Saturdays and Sundays with Elvis Presley, 6 to 7 a.m. 6.31 is that time of the morning where we host the editors and we say a very, in fact, before we get to the editors, let me just highlight for you what's happening in the newspapers this morning. Uh, taking a look, uh, starting off here with the uh, Sunday World. Starting off with the Sunday World. Uh, what is happening to my microphone? Uh, there we go. Uh, rape scandal rocks church. That's the Sunday World. And why Makosi Koza quit politics. That's the front page of the Sunday World. The Sunday Sun, they leading with Zuma's chicken murder. Uh, Mini's desert drama was the dessert drama and the stars strut their stuff for a good cause. That's the front page of the Sunday Sun. On the front page of the Sunday Independent, they lead with black racism in court. Top, uh, top executives in K-word spat and law must decide if Africans can be racist against each other. And Zuma clan proud of their new addition. That's the front page of the Sunday Independent. And uh, we also have the rapport, the Afrikaans newspaper, Tal Plan for Skola, Bekostigbare Private Afrikaans Skola Kom There's a plan for private schools there. And then, Mevrouw Zuma Nummer 7, Besit Eersa Eersa Eie Masseerplek, that Mrs. Zuma Number 7. 
uh, having her own massage parlor. That's the front page of the report. Let's take a look at the Sunday Times. Expose Supra's gift to Zuma. Uh, the uh, cattle intended for the northwest poor farmers end up in Nkandla Kral. As well as on the front page, you can see a number of pictures there of the northwest, what's happening in the northwest there. Uh, and Cyril's visit yields no quick fix for my king unrest. That's the front page of the Sunday Times. If uh, we flip and that is the basic, that's the last paper we have for you this morning. And those are all the papers available. The SABC has signed a code of conduct that is enforced by the Broadcasting Complaints Commission of South Africa. Under the code, we are committed to giving news that is accurate, comment that's fair, and programming that is not harmful, does not amount to hate speech or violence or explicit sex. If you think we are not living up to that code, then you can inform the Broadcasting Complaints Commission of South Africa. Direct any complaints in writing to the BCCSA, PO Box 412-365, Craig Hall 2024. That's the BCCSA, PO Box 412-365, Craig Hall 2024. Send a fax to 011-326-3198 or an email to bccsa at nabsa.co.za. For more information, please visit bccsa.co.za. Some things come naturally to SAFM, SAFM. like being SA's news and information leader. leader. SAFM, 104 to 107. It's time for the editors at 6.34, and we say a very good morning to Khadija Patel, the Mail and Guardian editor-in-chief on the line. A very good morning to you, Khadija. Thank you very much. Now, first and foremost, let me ask you, what was your top stories for the week that was? I think, um, you, know, it's, uh, you know, the biggest story that we covered this week was really the unrest in night gang. Um, and, you know, looking at how the unrest actually is affecting uh, ordinary people, we had a fantastic story, uh, our journalist, Pontipilani, went through to my gang, and um, I think you know we were able to illustrate how this unrest is really impacting on the lives of ordinary people. We had um, the story of one particular family um, who had a you know, who had a, you know a relative in hospital um, who had not been cared for, um, but was you know was so weak and clearly very very ill, um, and her husband arrives at the hospital with a wheelbarrow transport her home because she, obviously she's not, uh, you know, receiving any care there. Um, and so, we've, you know, we've got these pictures and it really does illustrate, I think, you know, the impact of this unrest on ordinary people in uh, the town and indeed, you know, what is at stake here if indeed this does not get, uh, you know, sorted out very quickly. Mm-hmm. That, so the top story was basically my king, and that's what we're also focusing on uh, this week. Uh, we're also waiting to uh, connect with Ferial Hafaji, the Huffington Post South Africa editor at large. Uh, we're still trying to get hold of Ferial. As soon as we uh, get her on, uh, we will uh, put her on the line to give us uh, her top stories. But let's start off with that big story. The week-long protest in my king in the northwest has severely affected many businesses. Now, this after protesters went on the rampage calling for the resignation of Premier Super 
Mpromo Mapelo. Shops were looted, some structures burned down, and the owners say that they've suffered massive financial losses. Bobby Serami and Paula Petty visited those affected by the disruptions and compiled this report. Riabita Hardware Warehouse is one of the businesses that has been affected severely. The building was looted and burned down, and a part of its structure has also collapsed. Its delivery trucks were also set alight, leaving nothing intact for the business. The owner, Mohoki Tsutwani, says what has happened to his business is unbelievable and he's been left traumatized. He says he's lost building material worth more than 20 million rand, adding that his relatively new business was not insured. I am very heartbroken and I don't even know where to go and cry for help. I don't even have money and that is a big problem because... I've been depending on hand-to-mouth. I've also been trying to renovate the place so that I can create more job opportunities, as we have already employed about 50 people. Another one business owner along the Freiburg Road, who also owns a hardware business, says he's lost everything that he worked for in the past 10 years. Business owner Alihuru. Yeah, we lost everything. We lost everything. You see, the tracks took, they loot everything after they burn everything down. You see, yeah, they have to help us, you know, at least. The situation is now come in and around Mahigeng. Police spokesperson Sabata Mokwabone says the police are working tirelessly to maintain peace and order. No serious incidents were reported last night after the announcement of President Cyril Ramaphosa, where he called on the people of Mahigeng to exercise restraint. Mokwabone elaborates. In the first place, uh, a petrol bomb was thrown at the Mabana Foundation uh, building, but uh, it did not cause any damage. Another petrol bomb was, was thrown at the house belonging to a traffic official, Mokwabone, but also the no serious damage was caused. We did not have uh, any serious uh, incident like I reported. We had a relatively quiet night, but I can also confirm that uh, we also managed to arrest nine suspects during the day uh, yesterday. Those arrested for malicious damage to property and public violence are expected to appear before the Molopo Magistrate Court on Monday. Police are monitoring the situation. Mpo Lipedi, Mahigeng, Northwest. Khadija, let's first take a look at the background story to the violence in Mai Keng. Take us through as to how did we get here? Because the residents of Mai Keng and other northwest towns have been embarking on these violent protests to demand the immediate removal of the Premier Supra Mahuma Pelo. Exactly. And um, I think that you know the turning point really was Nehao, uh, the trade union, uh, you know, going uh, on strike in, I think, what was it, February already? That's some months ago. Um, and, you know, as the strike sort of escalated, with, you know, by last week we'd heard, um, you know, from doctors working in the public sector in the Northwest that, for example, that there were not enough drugs to treat the patients that were, um, you know, currently, uh, you know, in the hospital, that they were being forced to turn patients away. Um, so, you know, it, it was not just, I think, importantly, it's not just sort of, you know, your run-of-the-most street, um, you know, 
uh, protests, you know, service delivery protests, but rather I think that there is a level of coordination here that we must also discuss. Um, and, you know, and I think that the role of Nihau, um is, is fascinating here, but also I think the fact that this has been allowed really to go on for this long, to the fact that, you know, people have lost their lives, and I think this is, you know, you know, this is really, really important that while, you know, the political issue is certainly quite urgent and deserves um, to be aired and, you know, the, um, you know, the, the residents of the Northwest have not come out onto the street asking for the Premier to resign, you know, willy-nilly. They, they have, uh, they have solid, uh, you know, foundation for their grievances. At the same time, however, you know, we have to understand how is you know the you know the, the big politics here affecting on the lives of ordinary people and when people are dying uh, we have to question how you know the local government in the northwest has handled this Mm-hmm. Now, from the Mail and Guardian's perspective, you've looked at the at the human factor uh, relating to people that was in hospitals, but there was also the business perspective, as we just heard, from businesses that were burned down and were disrupted. Uh, just expand a little bit more on that in relation to uh, the, uh, the 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 violence and how it impacted on the residents in uh, in Mikey. So we didn't particularly look much at um, you know at. Uh, you know, at the businesses um, that were affected through the protests over the last week, particularly. Um, but what we did, you know, seek to do is juxtapose the, um, you know, the sort of the ordinary person's, uh, you know, experience mm. of the protest against the big politics, which I think is really, really important to do because there really is. Uh, you know, a, a bigger political question unraveling here in the fate of, uh, you know, Supra Pelo, um, but also really the fate of, you know, the Jacob Zuma faction within the ANC and how they are able to withstand, uh, you know, the current political spectacle. Now, President Silver Mopoza was forced to cut short his trip from the United Kingdom to the United Kingdom in order to come and attend to the crisis in the Northwest. Now, after a marathon meeting, the ANC president addressed the media where he assured residents of Mai King about a speedy attendance to their concerns. Now, do you think that this is enough for now because calm has returned to Mai King? Sure. I mean, it certainly has appeared to be enough for now in that calm has been restored. Um, people are able to go about the business again. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, the president was, you know, was, was very clear when he, he said something to the effect of um, we're not just, you know, we're not just fobbing you off. They're not saying that we're going to look at this and never get back to you because he understands that if the ruling party and indeed if government as well does not appear to be looking at the grievances with some matter of urgency, the Northwest is effectively a tinderbox. And, uh, you know, we can see residents go up into the streets again and effectively paralyze towns. Mm-hmm. Now, Khadija, the DA leader, Musi Maimani, says that President Soramaposa has failed to listen to the voice of the Northwest citizens who are calling for the removal of their premier, uh, Supramo Mapelo. Now, Maimani was speaking during his visit to the trouble-torn Mai Kang. The issues of corruption and maladministration here have been chronic. And the reality, therefore, is that people are asking for political accountability. We stand with those who say Supra must go, because clearly... 
this province, not only is it beset with corruption, it also is struggling to deliver basic services. Our people are struggling here. Every time I come to the northwest, people don't find work, poor people are, are not getting services, and it's become quite clear that this is a province that has been captured. That was Musi Maimani, the DA leader there. Now, he stressed political accountability. Can we expect that to happen? I think that Musi has a great point here in that the ANC has allowed its senior leaders, its premiers, um, its councillors, its people in leadership positions throughout the country, no matter which level of government, have allowed them to continue without any accountability. And like you said earlier in the show, these protests are not new, that we have a culture of these protests simply because there is a lack of accountability from elected officials. Um, and that really is the crux of the problem here. The, uh, you know, the revelations of, uh, or, or the allegations rather, against um, Supra are not new. They have been continuing for years. There has this cloud against them for years. And like him, let's be honest, others in leadership positions in the ANC at that level, and yet he has been allowed to continue. So the ANC very much created this chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is the ANC now that you know we expect to clean it up. But uh, we are going into an election next year. Yes. And I'm really interested to know how do ordinary voters look at the current uh, you know the current situation in the northwest and how does this vote for their confidence um you know in the ANC's ability to track and really you know keep their officials you know with, you know online my guest this morning on the editor is Khadija Patel. She's the Mail and Guardian editor-in-chief. Now, we uh, also uh, were supposed to have Ferial Hafaji uh, from the Huffington Post, South Africa, the editor-at-large there on the line. But unfortunately, it seems like we're having some difficulties connecting uh, with Ferial. If uh, somebody is close to Ferial, please let her know that we are looking for her so she can chat to us here on uh, The Weekend View. Uh, your time now is 6.46. There's a number of big stories that broke this week, and one of them uh, seems to be that there's no end in sight to the ongoing commuter bus strike. Uh, General Secretary of Trade Union, Noomsa Irvin Jim, says that they will intensify the strike because the wage negotiations between the unions and the employers have deadlocked. Now, workers are demanding a 12% wage increase, while the employer is offering 7%. Thousands of commuters have been left stranded since the nationwide, uh, nationwide bus strike started on Wednesday. Now, Khadija, I know that we were focusing on the Northwest, but I don't know if you have a sense in, in relation to what your paper was covering uh, around the story of the, of the bus strike. So we didn't cover the bus strike extensively in the paper, but we did cover it extensively um, on our digital platforms. Mm. Um, uh, and again, you know, and very much, you know, as you, you know, as you've said, this, um, you know, is a very, very serious situation with implications on the everyday lives of many, many, many South Africans. Um, and one would hope that this is something again that, you know, receives the urgency it deserves and is able to be resolved in order for ordinary people who depend on these services to be able to enjoy them. At the same time, you one would hope, you know, that the concerns of of you know, of workers are also, um, you know, and their rights 
are upheld as well. Now, we spoke to NUMSA a little bit earlier, and, and, and it seems like they are suggesting that uh, they were demanding 12% and they've come down to 9.5% and that, that they are basically opening up the door for the employer to come to the table. But it seems there's reluctance from the employer. Um, so exactly. So, you know, there is, you know, there's deadlock, mm-hmm. effectively. Um, and how, uh, you know, it is going to take calm heads, um, but also commitment, really, to the people of South Africa in order for this to be resolved. Mm-hmm. Now, another big story that we were covering here this week uh, was the call to put people first rang out loud as the family, friends and colleagues bade farewell to ANC stalwart Dr. Zola Squiyia during a special official funeral in Pretoria yesterday. President Soromaposa delivered the eulogy. Squiyia presided over the amalgamation of the public service and administration departments in the democratic South Africa championing uh, putting people first, or Bartopile, as Squiyia was laid to rest at the Pretoria East Cemetery. Ramaphosa has hailed Dr. Squiyia as the father of the Bartopile. When former President people. Nelson Mandela entrusted Zola Squiyia with the formidable challenge of transforming the oppressive apartheid machinery into a developmental state that would serve all South Africans, he undertook this task with commitment with responsibility and with purpose. He said, public services are not a privilege in a civilized and democratic society. They are a legitimate expectation. And through that, he then became the father of our Batupili ethos. Now, Dr. Nkozazana Dlamini-Zuma indicated that the, the month of April is not a good month for the African National Congress. Uh, the African National Congress has lost Mama Winnie and now also ANC stalwart Dr. Sola Squeya. Your thoughts? Um, I think that you know, one of the most interesting things actually to come out of the funeral yesterday was, um, and it was a new moving eulogy delivered by the president, but one of the most interesting tidbits buried there was the apology extended um, by the president to uh, to effectively the family um, you know of the of the late comrade um, and to tell them that he is sorry that the ANC effectively abandoned him in his latter years there's an anecdote of him um, you know, turning up at literally house and being turned away a couple of years ago. Um, I thought that was it was fascinating um, that the president sought to uh, you know apologize for that, considering that the president was, is very much been a part of the DNC in recent years. Let's not uh, pretend that he suddenly you know woke up in December and joined the ANC. He's been part of the ANC in recent years. And, you know, and if we couple really the, uh, you know, the apology extended to the Scurry family yesterday, as well as the discussions around, uh, you know, the ANC's uh, treatment of Mam Winnie, um, you know, in her latter years um, following her death, um, I think that you know, the ANC has been forced into you know a moment of reckoning, um, you know, without expecting it in any way, where they are being forced to look very, very closely at how they have treated people within the organisation, whom 
who have not necessarily agreed with the current leadership. And they've been forced to admit that they have been wrong. Um, so, and, you know, and they've been forced to do this on, you know, in very public platforms, as we saw yesterday, the president extending this apology. So, you know, there's a fascinating, uh, you know, set of events, you know, that are unfolding um, that, you know, that is putting the ANC in, in a very curious position. And I'm really interested to see how the ANC emerges from here. We're in conversation with uh, the Mail and Guardian editor-in-chief, uh, Khadija Patel. Uh, of course, we're still trying to locate Ferial Hafaji, the Huffington Post uh, South Africa editor at large. But unfortunately, it seems like we cannot get hold of her. The phone is uh, off as we speak. But uh, let's continue our discussion with our editor. Now, Afri Forum will seek to prove that EFF leader Julius Malema benefited unlawfully from a contract that was awarded in 2011 by the Limpopo government to Malema's company On Point Engineering. AFRI Forum has announced that it will pursue a private prosecution against Malema. The case, which was heard in the Limpopo High Court, was struck off the roll in 2015 due to one of the accused being ill and unable to stand trial, and the charges were never reinstated. AFRI Forum CEO, Kali Creel. Um, I can say that we are planning to prosecute uh, uh, Mr. Julius Malema on charges of uh, corruption and fraud. Um, you know, if somebody portrays themselves as somebody that's fighting for the poor, when such a person, like in the case of Mr. Malema, goes ahead and steals state money or taxpayers' money, money that should benefit the poor, we believe such a person should be held accountable, and that is why we are going ahead with this case. Prosecution should just uh, go ahead, and that is why we are intervening to put pressure on the National Prosecuting Authority to simply do their work. With regard to the interest, also, as you've mentioned, you have to have a specific interest in a matter to be able to privately prosecute. We have said from the start that we want to broaden the law in that regard, because in this case, every one of us that pays tax. That was Afri Forum CEO Kali Creel. Meanwhile, the EFF's national chairperson, advocate Dalian Porfu, says that Afri Forum is attempting to put pressure on the National Prosecuting Authority to prosecute the party leader, Julius Malema. It's not even so-called private prosecution, it's more like a private persecution. In exceptional circumstances, private citizens can do a prosecution. There is no certificate by the MPA that says that it is not willing to prosecute. The categories of people who can do such a prosecution should be somebody who has a direct interest in the matter. So even from a legal point of view, it's nonsensical. But politically, all that they are doing really is to try and put pressure on the MPA. They don't really want to do a private prosecution, but they are hoping that this will put undue pressure on the MPA, which in itself is unlawful. Khadija, does it sound like this? being put pressure on the NPA by, uh, by Afri Forum, or is it perhaps like uh, Afri Forum indicate its interest to broaden the law? But I think, uh, you know, um, Calicleo, by his own admission in that clip he just played, says that, that they are trying to put pressure on the NPA to do its job. This is exactly what the, uh, what the, the what Afri Forum, rather, is doing here. They are trying to, uh, you know, to force um, the MPA to act, um, and it, it, the law certainly, um, you know, 
is not broad enough for you know for this to be a successful um, you know petition um, you know for you know for the private prosecution to go ahead. While it might be an interesting case to push the law, at the same time, I don't think that um, you know, that Afri Forum really do want to go ahead and do this. Instead, they really do want to pressure the NPA into what they say, using their own words, to do its job. Um, but at the same time, we can, you know, it, you know, we can again look very closely at the cases that and the NPA chooses, um, you know, to you know to push forward and and, you know, and actually put pressure on the NPA to act. Those are always very very interesting, um, and. Um, you know, and again, we are we are entering an election year, mm-hmm. and the um, you know, and Judith Malema is the head of a political party, but he has also been spokesperson, uh, you know, for a number of years for um, you know for land reform, for radical land reform, um, and this you know we have to also admit this makes certain sectors in our you know you know within our country very very uncomfortable um and many mm-hmm. people believe that um you know mr malema yes. um ought to face reckoning for you know his past mm-hmm. actions before he's able to you know launch political campaign that affects many, many people's lives. Now, they normally say when you're having fun, time just fly, and that's exactly what happened. Khadija, let's look at the week ahead, uh, stories uh, that uh, you think uh, that you will focus on. Um, So I think we are very much going to um, be focusing on what's happening in the Northwest, looking very closely at the legacy of Premier Mahoma Pelo um, and looking at how he can survive, if he does survive, where exactly will he find uh, your support within the ANC to keep him in his position? I thank you so much for joining us this morning, and it was a great discussion. Khadija Patel, she's the Mail and Guardian Editor-in-Chief on the line to us. Thank you so much for your time. And, of course, uh, we um, would like to apologize. Ferial Hafaji, we couldn't get hold of the Huffington Post uh, South Africa editor at large, unfortunately, uh, because that would have been a great discussion uh, to have the various views. But uh, there you have it for this week. That's the editor's slot. would like to thank you for all your comments. Let's take a quick look at some of the comments uh, that has come through. Uh, this one, uh, Elvis, what chaos mars the beautiful game in Durban? A sad day in football. Shocking, says uh, Bill Kish. Now, as you know, what happened last night there and uh, Steve Compella of course resigning and some are suggesting finally. Now this one coming in from my daughter says the very the very wage protests are also a burden to other poor blacks and the minimum wage proposed will never work. Those getting higher wages keep wanting more and the greedy union leaders are so deaf and care nothing about unemployment says my daughter. That's where we got to leave it. Thank you so much for your participation.